Welcome to Faith. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to have you with us today. It's been kind of fun, you know, to see the people who are self-aware and uh, identify as bossy, and they know that. And um, anybody want to just confess that to the room? Thank you in the back. All right. We got a few. See, there you know. All right. See, it's good. You just, you, you embrace it. This is who you are. So, um, but we are uh, launching a brand new series today. A little bit more on that in a few minutes, but want to give folks an update on where things are at with the search for a new youth pastor. If you're new today and you're like, I know you're looking for a new youth pastor, we are. If you're a youth pastor and you're new today, come see me. Um, maybe that's why you're here, but uh, just kind of give you an update on, on where we're at in the, in the process. So we started the search in earnest back in February and did the math today. Uh, we have had some level of interaction with about 60 different candidates. And that is in large part to the search team working incredibly hard in recruiting throughout this process. Um, and we have gotten close a number of times and haven't gotten there. We actually had a search weekend, didn't work out. We had somebody scheduled to come last weekend for a search weekend, and we said, yeah, their flight got canceled. I actually spoke to them last Saturday, and they were working on rescheduling their flight. We're really excited about coming out. They were heading out uh, to see their wife's family. There was some kind of issue they were going to help them with, and when they got out there, uh, they discovered that it wasn't some issue, that it was an undisclosed significant problem, and they just, they interpreted the missing of the flight the cancellation of the flight is divine providence, and they really believe that they needed to stay in Arizona and help their wife's family. And so we find ourselves back at square one. I've had a number of people say to me, why is this so hard? Why is this taking so long? And uh, thank you for those connection cards. Um, <laughs> but uh, here's, there, there are a number of reasons. Here's the biggest one. Uh, when we posted back in February, I had somebody put an article in my box, and it was from the Wall Street Journal, and it was chronicling how in this season, pastors are retiring, getting out of ministry altogether, or committing suicide at record numbers. Um, ministry's hard. COVID, race, and politics in the last three years, for some people, it's just made it impossible. And so the great resignation has impacted the church as well. And there's just a shortage in pastors in the country right now. And we're feeling that most keenly in student ministry. And so as we're in the midst of this right now, listen, God is at work. I get it's hard to see it in the middle of the storm, but he's at work and he's going to get the right person here in his time. And so what we're going to do moving forward is the search team, the leadership team met last week and has agreed to um, pursue a partnership with a consulting firm. And what they do, you have agencies where they just help churches find staff. And one of the biggest differences is your search team has worked, again, incredibly hard to do consulting, to, um, to do recruiting, to kind of scour through, okay, of the people we've talked to, like who is even a decent fit for this? But your search team has limited resources, they have limited time, and limited skill. That's like they're not recruiters. That's not what they do for a living. When you partner with a, a search firm, they have a team of people full-time. What they do is recruiting. And so um, we're going to be partnering with those folks. 
there'll be a little bit of a gap. We're going to have, eventually, we're going to get them out here. They'll do a discovery weekend, really get to know us as a church, get to know our culture, get to know what it is we're looking for, and then they will do the recruiting, some initial scouring, and then present us with a block of candidates, all of whom should be a good fit for us, and then we figure out which one is the best fit for our church. So um, be praying for student ministry. Be praying for the search team. They're a little bit gassed. Uh, be praying for our students and just who God has for this role. A day is going to come. We're going to look back and we're going to go, that's what God was doing. This is who he has brought. And you can rest in the fact that God is at work working that out. So let's pray for the, the search and all of those things. We'll pray for the message and we'll get into things. Father, we just pray that you would have your hands on our students, ones who are heading out to camp, ones who are still here at home. Father, I pray you would pour out your spirit on student ministry here at Faith and that you would have your hands on the heart of the, the person who you want in this role moving forward. We pray that you would bring them in your time. Father, as we begin this new series today, just open our hearts, our minds to you and to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're starting a new series today entitled Says Who? And I want you to look at your neighbor and with attitude, tell them, says who? Ooh. There was an especially strong amount of attitude over in this back corner of the room here. That's exciting. All right, I like that. Um, so, so we're starting a new series today, Says Who? And I, I need to give you a couple warnings about today's message. Uh, first of all, today's message is going to be a little bit more cerebral than usual. Uh, we, there's some philosophical ideas we've got to work through to, to launch this series, and we're going to do that today. And um, so just have a hit of coffee, put on your thinking cap. You're like, it's Father's Day. I don't want to think hard. Deal with it, all right? We're going to just think a little bit harder. It's just not going to work. Um, and then secondly, let me warn you, it's going to take a little bit more time to get to something biblical today. All right, the, the rest of the series is going to be just saturated in the Bible. Um, today we got to set things up, and we will eventually get there. So Bible thumpers in the room, just be patient, all right? We will, we will unpack some of what the Bible has to say. It's going to take us a little bit longer to get there. Now, today's message really was inspired by two different conversations, all right? One, one is a conversation that, that I had with a young lady who we'll call Jill, and it's a conversation that I've had countless times before Jill, with Jill, after Jill, and will probably continue to have. And the, the conversation really began when Jill filled out a connection card to complain about me and the other pastors on the staff at the church I was at at the time. And, and her beef with us was that we had the audacity from the stage to talk about how certain things were wrong that she believed to be right. And so she let us know on that connection card that she was mad at us about doing that. And I did what I normally do when I get a connection card like that. I emailed her. I said, hey, thanks for your thoughts. I'd love to set up a time and talk about this if you want to talk about it. Now, Jill actually responded. Which, hey, you would be surprised how often somebody will give you a critical connection card or a downright nasty connection card and then when you say to them, you want to talk about it? Radio silence, right? So Jill didn't do that. 
So we set up time, met at Starbucks in Plymouth and had coffee. And I said, okay, what, what's your beef? And she's like, here are all the things that you guys are saying are wrong. I believe they're perfectly right. And I think it's wrong for you to say that they're wrong. Now, as we were having this conversation, it became apparent to me that the real issue wasn't the stuff that we were saying, this is right, this is wrong. The real issue was that Jill and I defined right and wrong differently. We had different standards for determining morality. And so, so I said to Jill, I said, okay, let me ask you something. Do you believe in objective morality? Do you, do you believe in universal right and wrong? And I was really hoping <laughs> that she would tell me yes, because we were there having a conversation because she believed that I had done something that was objectively wrong, right? Like for her to tell me, no, there is no objective morality would be kind of like saying, you know, th there is no such thing as objective morality and it's objectively immoral for you to teach that there is. <laughs> Think about it. You'll get there, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, it's, it's just not consistent. It's a contradiction in and of itself. But here's the thing. When it comes to the topic of morality, it's not uncommon in our culture today for people to be inconsistent in how they think. In fact, in the world that we live in today, just more and more, harder and harder, the idea of moral relativism keeps getting pushed. This idea, there is no objective morality, there is no universal right and wrong. And yet, I would contend that every one of us in this room today, everybody watching online today, we all believe in right and wrong. And all you have to do to elicit that from the person who even says there is no right and wrong is you just cross the right line with them and they'll scream out, that's not okay. For example, we got a picture of my granddaughter. It's my granddaughter, Joe. Isn't she cute? Yeah. Yeah. Now, she's at our house a lot of Saturdays and she's, you know, she comes, she hangs out, she makes messes and just is cute. And that's what she does. Now, on Saturdays, when, when I'm working in between, you know, when I try and take a break from whatever it is I'm working on, I will try and spend time with my wife and with Joe. Now, if I was to tell you yesterday, during one of my breaks, I got out a pair of needle-nose pliers, and one at a time, I pulled her fingernails off for my amusement, how would you feel about that? Yeah, some of you are like, I'm getting right, we're going to write that nasty connection card right now, right? That would just prove my point. If there is no right and wrong, there's nothing wrong with me saying it and nothing wrong with me doing it. But you cross the right line and all of a sudden folks are like, oh, wait a minute. Like, you talk about child abuse, people are like, no, that's not okay. You, you, you talk about things like, you know, if I, if, I, if I drain your bank account, you're going to be like, hey, that's wrong. That's my money. If I subject your teenager to human trafficking, you're going to cry out foul. You can't say that the history of racism and slavery in our country was wrong and that things like diversity, equity, and inclusion are right if there is no wrong or right. You can't say that, you know, like, hey, the war in Ukraine is wrong. School shootings are immoral if there is no objective morality. Those kind of things, it just is what it is. You see, you cross the right line and people will go, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, 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 no. Because deep down inside, we know better. 
We know these things, and we could list a whole pile more on top of them. We know this is wrong. And so when, when Jill and I were talking, you know, she, she, she didn't try and go there. She had enough sense to go, okay, I'm here saying you're doing something wrong. I believe in right and wrong. And so I said, okay, you, you're saying this is wrong. I'm saying this is right. I'm saying, you know, these things are right. You're saying, no, they're wrong. Says who? Like, what's the standard for determining morality? How do we know you're right and I'm wrong or I'm right and you're wrong? Now, there are a number of ways that people answer this question. And one of them is, there's no standard. But Jill didn't go there. She had enough sense to see that, okay, this doesn't, logically, this doesn't play itself out. And then we had this conversation where we kind of walked through all the other typical answers. And she's like, well, what about this thing we talk about? And she's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't work. What about that thing? And, and, and so eventually we landed where Jill discovered, okay, this is how she was defining morality. And so, you know, we kind of started with, okay, well, if it's, if it's not there is no standard, then maybe society gets to decide. Like if society says it's right, then it's right. And if society says it's wrong, then it's wrong. Now, there's at least a couple of problems with this one. One being, you don't have to go very far back in history before. You can find examples of society saying, hey, this is perfectly fine. And today we'd say, oh my goodness, no, it wasn't. For example, early to mid-1900s, you had fascism just sweeping across Europe. And it led to a mindset in Germany where as a society, Germany said, you know what? The Nazi party is the right party. Jews are a little better than human cockroaches, and we need to exterminate this race of people. And you had the Holocaust, where millions and millions of Jews were murdered. Now, I bet you if we took a poll, every one of us today would say, that was wrong. But German society at one point in time said, that is right. And before you say, well, that was just German society, global society didn't agree with that, well, okay, let's go back to slavery. Because for centuries, global society said chattel slavery is just fine. For hundreds and hundreds of years, as a global society, we said it's okay to kidnap another human being, designate them as less than human, sell them to somebody else, and leave them to a life of servitude. And yet today, if we took a vote, I bet you it'd be unanimous. Every one of us would say slavery was wrong. And yet society at one time on a global level said it's okay. Which, which kind of leads us to, to, to the next problem with this. When it comes to morality, society's forever changing its mind. Like we live in a world today that is pushing so hard when it comes to things like how you live into your sexuality, what's marriage, what's gender, all these kind of things, we live in a world today that pushes so hard on this idea of you can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with whenever you want to sleep with them. You can redefine marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to pursue same sexual, sexual relationships, you can do that. If you want to completely change your, ident uh, your identity, your gender itself, go for it. And you say, how do we know that's right? And we would hear, because now we live in an enlightened society and it tells us so. But here's the deal. You, you, don't, 
You don't have to go that far back. You go to the 70s and the 80s, and the same society was defining those kind of things as an emotional disorder or a sexual disturbance. You go back 100 years, every state in the union had laws on the books that said same-sex sexual behavior is illegal and we will prosecute you criminally for it. Now, we will have to save the conversation for the morality of sexuality for a different Sunday. The point I want you to get is this. By its nature, objective morality doesn't change. But our society's definition of it is forever changing. This idea that society gets to make the call, it just doesn't work. So Gerald says, okay, well, well, how about just like everybody gets to make the call for themselves? Like you, you, you do you, I'll do me, I'll define morality for me, that'll be morality. You define morality for you, that'll be morality. Now, didn't take long to point out the problem with this. The very fact that we were having coffee together, like should have like, you know, pointed that out to her. Like if, if you get to have your morality and I get to have mine, what do we do when they crash, when they clash with one another? Like if when it comes to sexuality and marriage, you say, hey, monogamy is the way to go. And I say, no, open marriages are the way to go. That's going to be an issue. It's going to be a very relevant issue, especially if I'm trying to engage your spouse sexually. If I'm like, hey, you know, join my upside down pineapple swingers club. This is the way to do this thing, right? It's going to be a real issue. Jill and I were having coffee because her definition of morality and my definition of morality clashed and she decided mine was wrong and I was wrong for having it. She's like, okay, well, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work either. And so finally, Jill landed on what her standard was. And again, it was one, she, she didn't even realize it going into it, but she figured it out that day. And, and her standard for morality is actually a very common one. What Jill came to realize that she was her standard for morality. I'm the standard. What, what, what Jill realizes, what she believed to be true about right and wrong was the standard that she embraced and she applied to others. Because Jill believed that, that child abuse or theft or sex trafficking or slavery or racism or whatever else, because she believed they were wrong, in her mind they were. And she was not afraid to apply her standard to, of morality to other people. That's why we were having coffee, because she had applied it to me. I had crossed lines that she had drawn in the sand, and now we were going to deal with that. She, she hadn't even realized it. She hadn't even thought it through. But that day, she, be, she became aware. Her standard for morality for all of humanity was herself. And so as we, we wrapped our conversation up, I said, listen, I have one more question for you, and I, I want to challenge you and leave you with this, Jill. Could it be, could it be that there's someone more qualified than you to determine morality for all of humanity? With 8 billion plus people on the planet, could there be somebody more qualified than Jill or me or you to determine morality? Now, I'm convinced that there is. And in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, 
he was convinced that there's somebody better qualified than us as well, and he talks about that. There's this short, just short little passage in, in the book of Romans where Paul speaks to the church about this, but it's just a dense, just so philosophically and theologically dense, this little passage. Paul begins this way. He says, for everyone is sinned. Now, the minute Paul uses the word sin, he kind of shows you his hand and he lets you know what he thinks about morality. Because sin is the word that the Bible uses to describe when we, when we speak, when we act, when we think in a way that is out of bounds. Like, you know, to, 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 to speak the wrong thing, to act the wrong you know, way, to, to think the wrong way, the Bible would say that's sin. To fail to speak or to act or to think the right way, the Bible would call that sin as well. So right out of the gate, Paul's like, yeah, there's objective morality. Yes, there's, there's universal right and wrong, and everybody's gotten it wrong. Everybody at some point in time, in a moment, in a season, in, in a one-time event, in an ongoing pattern of behavior, everybody's blown it. Paul says, everyone has sinned. And then in what Paul will say next, he'll give you the biblical standard for morality. He will answer how the Bible, you know, answers this says who question. And Paul does it in a way that goes beyond the typical church answer. See, if I was, if I was to ask a good church person, do you believe in objective morality? Most of them, and it distresses me, it's not all of them, but it's, it's the world we live in, most of them would say yes. And if I say to you, well, okay, how do you know? Like, how do you define right and wrong? How do you distinguish one from the other? The, the typical answer I'll get would be the Bible. They'd be like, it's right there in the Bible, pastor, right? Like, if the Bible says it's right, then it's right. And if the Bible says it's wrong, then it's wrong. And while I would agree with that, I, I'm inclined to push them a little bit and say, well, how, do you, how, how does the Bible know? Like, what is the standard the Bible is using to determine this is right and this is wrong? And, and as folks think about that, they'll say to me, well, it's God. Like, you should know this. You're a pastor, right? Like, God inspired the authors of the Bible. You know, it's divine authorship. And so, like, he inspired the authors of the Bible to say, hey, these are the things that are right. Write them down so people will know what's right. These are the things that are wrong. Write them down so people will know what's wrong. And again, while I wouldn't disagree with that, I'm inclined to push them a little further. Maybe I'm the bossiest person you know, right? I thought it was Jean. No, it's me, right? So, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> but I'll push him like, well, how does, so how does God know? Like, how's he figuring this out? And that's a harder question. But it is so relevant to what we're talking about and so helpful to life. And Paul answers that question in what he says next. So back to Paul. Paul says, for everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, according to Paul, there's a standard by which God determines right from wrong. And it's himself. It's his glorious standard. It's his person. Inasmuch as a thought, word, or deed aligns with who God is in his person, he says, that's right. And as much as a thought, word, or deed fails to align or contradicts who God is in his person, he says, that is wrong. God says, I'm the standard. 
Now, we may sit there and go, well, who does he think he is? Determine all of you know, morality for all of humanity. God. He thinks he's God. He's got this idea that as the author and creator and sustainer of all of the universe, that he's more qualified than Jill or me or you to determine morality for all of humanity. And really, that's kind of where, where, like, if I, if I was going to have any issues with Jill, that'd probably be my biggest one. Because Jill or really anyone else who says, you know what, I'm, I'm the standard. I get to make the call. Whether, they, whether they, they have thought it through or not, whether they meant to or not, when somebody says, I'm the one who gets to determine what's right and wrong for me and for others, what that person is doing is playing God. They are usurping God's role in their lives. It goes right back to Genesis 3. You'll get to be like God. And so Paul's like, no, no, no. There's a standard. It's not you. It's not me. It's God himself. He's communicated it to us because that is who he is. And then as Paul continues to write in the New Testament, Paul will then talk to us about how God communicated that standard. In a letter he writes to a young pastor named Timothy, Paul says this, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. Now part of what Paul is saying here is that in this book, that this is more than some you know, dusty, dry book written by a bunch of dead religious guys you know, who made up a bunch of stories that have no relevance or meaning or purpose in our lives today. Paul's saying, no, no, no. In this book, you have something that is the outbreathing of God's spirit itself. Paul is saying, because this book comes from outside of our world, it is incredibly useful to us in our world. Now, this word that we have translated is is useful. It carries with it this idea of profitable, of helpful, of beneficial in the affairs of our daily lives. Because it's from outside of this world, it's useful to us in this world. And then Paul will talk to us about how it's useful to us. He'll say, it's useful for teaching. Now, the word teaching here, it carries with it this idea of doctrine. That, that in this book, God is going to teach us how to live and think in such a way where he's at the center of our worldview. He says next that, it, that it's useful for rebuking. Like, the, the Bible, is, it's not a tame book. It's not a nice book. When you get it wrong, it will tell you. It has the audacity to call you out. And then he says it's useful for correcting. And you're like, what's the difference between rebuking and correcting? Rebuking says, hey, here's where you're doing it wrong. Correcting says, Here's how you stop. And then he says, it's useful for training in righteousness. In other words, here's how you get it right. And so really what Paul has done, he's kind of taking us full circle. He's going, hey, God has communicated to us in this book how to live. And he'll tell us when we're getting it wrong. And he'll tell us how to stop. And he'll tell us how to do it right again. See, biblically speaking, There is a standard of morality for all of humanity. It is found in God's person. And he has taken the time to communicate it to us 
in this book. So before we go on to conversation number two, again, we've got the says who question. Like, how do we go about determining morality for ourselves and all of humanity? You know, for, for some people, it's, you know, like, well, well, there is none. For some folks, you know, it's society gets to make the call. For some folks, it's we all get to decide for ourselves. For some folks, it's like I'm the standard. And again, Paul is pushing this idea that, no, 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 God's the standard. There's, there's a better answer than these. Now, we said this is a, a series, uh, uh, today's message kind of came off of two conversations. So the, the first one was with Jill. The second one was when I was, you know, recounting my conversation with Jill with some of our students here on a Sunday night and kind of pushing them to go, hey, maybe you've never thought about this before. Maybe you have, like, how do you answer this question? And could it be that God's the best qualified person to have the says who kind of authority in our lives? And so I'm pushing the students to think about this and challenging them to to decide where they're going to land on this. One of the students asked a great follow-up question. I wish I had written it down. I didn't. But she said to me, okay, you're saying God gets to be the standard. He's communicated this, this to us in the Bible. But what do you do with the way that different people interpret the Bible differently? Like, how do we know what the right way to do that is? How do we know who's right? It was such a good question. Because basically, what she's asking is, like, are there right ways and wrong ways to read this book? Are there ways in which I can read this book that will help me better understand what God is communicating? Are there principles that I can apply when I read this book that will help me get it right? And the answer is, yes, there are. And so, here's what we're going to do in the rest of the series. Because, see, here's the deal. This is a book like no other book. This, this is a book that was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. It's written on three different continents and three different languages. It contains no less than 10 different types of literature within it. I mean, that alone should help us understand we need to be thoughtful about how we read this book. I mean, you, you, think about it. You're going to read poetry from Frost differently than you are a letter from your mentor, differently than you are a history of the colonial United States. And so what we're going to do in each week of the series is we're going to take one of the different types of literature and we're going to go, okay, what are the principles that help me read this type of literature in this book in such a way that I'm going to get what God is saying right What we're actually going to do is we're going to base it off of another book. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And each week we'll go, hey, let's take the Psalms. Let's give you some basic principles for how to read the Psalms in such a way we're going to hear God correctly. And then if you want to go deeper, want to totally nerd out this summer, you can pick up the book and after we do it, you know, cover a chapter on this particular type of literature, you can go home and dig even deeper on that. But what we're going to discover is that this book it really is useful. That it is incredibly relevant to our lives. And we're going to learn on how to best hear from God from it. So join us. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to learn. And we are going to hear truth 
from God for our lives each week. So, downstairs, if you can bring that says who question up one more time for us. As we wrap things up today, I want to ask you, maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. How do you answer this says who question? For you, how do you get there? How do you determine morality for you and for those around you? And if you've been answering the question this way, and as we've been having this conversation, you're realizing, you know what? No, I should have been answering it this way. It should have been God. He's the only one who's really qualified to do this. And you're ready for change. We're going to pray. And I would invite you just in, in the quietness of your own heart to have a conversation with me and with God where you just let him know, hey, I've been answering this question wrong, but today I want to let you be God in my life in this way. So let's pray together and we'll continue in worship. Father, thank you for people like Jill who ask such good questions. Fathers, we've been having this conversation today. For some of us, we are realizing maybe for the first time that we've let something other than you be the standard by which we're going to determine right from wrong. Father, we, just, we have come to realize today that only you, as the author, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, only you are qualified to do this. And so today, we just submit ourselves to you and to your authority in our lives. Help us in the weeks to come just to learn together how to best understand your word as it comes to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.